Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Dan Gibson of 43 Properties. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind please taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners, and it means the absolute world for me. So thanks for making my day with that review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Dan has been investing in real estate for over 12 years now and is the CEO of his commercial real estate investment company based out of St. Louis, Missouri. His company, 43 Properties, specializes in mobile home park and self-storage investments. He started the business with his dad and brother and grew their company's portfolio to over $50 million in assets under management. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it, man. Dude, happy to have you on the show. I know you and I have been talking for several years now, so excited to kind of share your story with the, with the audience. Maybe you could start there by just kind of yeah. sharing man, how you it's... got into mobile home parks. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think many people, you know, grow up, go to school and college and think, you know what, I really want to be in the mobile home park business. Right. <laughs> so there's always interesting stories in this, in this uh, asset class, certainly. But so we, you know, me and my family, we got into it just kind of by accident. Right. So we started buying single families, small commercial, small uh, multifamilies. And you know, just with talking to local, you know, we kind of did everything boots on ground, you know, grew up in St. Louis. So just obviously started there and just accidentally was, I was looking at a duplex that a lady was selling and we couldn't make the deal work. She wanted too much money. And she was like, well, if you, I mean, you sound like you kind of know what you're looking for. You like cash flow, Like you should check out, you know, my trailer park. And I was like, I was like, Ooh, I was like, no way. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, like I don't want to own that. Like, and she was like, no, no. She was like, you're, you're, you're kind of missing the boat. Like this thing, this thing cash flows great. And she was like, you know, let me show you. And she was like, I think, uh, how her story go? So she, she couldn't sell it traditionally because she was very big on the cash, the cash payers. Mm. So she was like, look, a bank's not going to, finance this for you at the number I'm going to ask because my tax returns will not support this. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So I literally went out with her on the first of the month and she was like, so here's the reported and here's all the cash that sometimes doesn't all make it, you know, into the, into the bank accounts or whatever. So, so it's like what my, it's my favorite story. And I kind of trusted her and she was a savvy businesswoman and she knew her way around and, she, you know, did a seller carry for us for, I think it was three years and let us build up and, you know, report everything and look good by the bank. And, and, uh, during those three years, you know, that was kind of, that was kind of how we were like, wow, this, this is a niche. We like this niche. We don't know really many people in it. So let's, let's dive in. And in fact, I think that might be where you and I met, we got this thing under contract and obviously we were used to rentals and we managed everything in house. And then we started Googling like, you know, mobile home education, you know, whatever. And then that's when Frank's course, mobile home university 
popped up and That's we right. booked, we booked, you know, the flights and bought the tickets to the next mobile home university class. Wow. That is amazing. So what was that? Was that 2017, 2018? Ooh. Yeah, that would have been maybe even before it was either 16 or 17, I think, because, wow. so we still have that park today. I had to refi her at three years. Yeah. So yeah, it's been at least six, six or seven years with that one. So. That's fantastic, man. I, yeah. I love that. And then <laughs> tell us what happened after that one. So that was like, all right, we like this business. And then you guys just really went to work and acquired yeah. a really nice portfolio around St. Louis, right? Yep. So then we, we owned that for a couple of years. Didn't take long to realize, okay, there's a niche here, a lot of mom and pop sellers. And I just think, you know, there's just so many more mobile home parks out there than people realize because mm. they're just not looking for them. They don't, you know, they drive right past them and they don't even think about them. So, you know, we started, you know, hitting the pavement, just old fashioned, you know, networking, you know, cold calling and just started, you know, buying as many parks as we could in the St. Louis area, started raising funds, you know, kind of syndications and then different investment, uh, different investors, you know, here and there. And, yeah, I think at the peak, we had about a little over a thousand lots spread out through 15 parks. So, wow. Yep. That and is that amazing. Was, yeah, that was probably for the next six years because, I mean, we were still kind of buying here and there. But yeah, so for the next five, six years, that was that was kind of all we, we put all of our eggs kind of in that basket because, you know, we knew people, you know, weren't really looking at them and weren't really buying them. Sure. And you stuck close to home, close to St. Yeah. Louis. Was it was the majority of the parks, you know, off market, direct to owners, or did you get so, some through brokers as well? We definitely got a few through brokers. Most of them were off market, direct to owners. You, you know, you'd be surprised. You know, you start talking to a bunch of the local bankers. You know, they know of the mobile home parks that they've either financed in the past or they heard someone was selling. Sure. And I think we probably got two or three parks. You know, that way. So yeah, just old fashioned, you know, we, I was never shy about just driving past a mobile home park sign, taking a picture and making phone calls until I got to the owner and, you know, told them what me and my family did. And, you know, we wanted to buy them in the area. So, and yeah, we, we stuck around. It was probably, I think our furthest park away was probably about 70 miles. So mm -hmm. we pretty much stuck within an hour and a half drive range of St. Louis. Which proved to be pretty fruitful, right? Because you guys just had a pretty nice exit uh, of, yep. of not all the portfolio, but the majority of it, yep. right? Yeah. So we uh, took advantage kind of of some of the the big the big money, the, the hedge funds moving in. And the easiest way to describe it is we packaged up about 60% of the, the lots and then packaged them and sold them, took some cash off the table. And now we're, you know, we got, we get, we still have the rest. We try and build that back up again and do it all over again. So I love it. I love it, man. Yeah. Love it. Tell me, Dan, what has been the toughest hurdle for you guys in the business? Yeah. You know, we tried, I guess the short answer is I would say the management. And I think for us and for whatever reason, a lot of our parks had across our portfolio, we had about 45 to 50% park owned homes. So we had a pretty significant park owned home package there. And obviously that comes with a lot more management. So um, at the beginning, we were obviously didn't know any better. And as we kept buying and 
and kept growing, we already had an in-house management. We had tried outsourcing management a few different times, even with our single families and stuff. And, you know, nobody manages property like, like you do uh, or your team or your team does. So we just kind of hired that up in house. We had, I think again, at the peak, we had three full-time property managers, eight maintenance guys. And then me and my brother who were kind of overseeing everything and still pretty involved in the day-to-day. So I would say that was probably our biggest challenge is because you get to a certain size and all the lease docs, all the software, you know, you can pretty systematize that. It's the employees dealing with them, dealing, you know, with one-off tenants that need to be escalated to you and, and just doing that in a proper way and kind of doing it in our, you know, kind of like our, uh, our core values that we, we try to to use and, and that. So I think that's probably been the biggest challenge. Definitely. And that's been something we've heard before from other operators is just the, the management involved. It's, it's definitely not, you know, passive uh, when you're managing these things and owning them yourself. It's a, it's an operating business, right? Yeah. Tell me about those park owned homes. When you guys went to exit that portfolio to, you know, to a bigger group, how did they value those? You know, did you guys have them sold on lease options or were they straight rentals? Maybe shed some light there. Like everybody, we tried to lease, you know, lease to option, lease to own as many park-owned homes as we could. I would say just just from our experience, that's easier said than done. So if someone out there's plan is, I'm going to just lease to own all these park-owned homes and that's their plan, I would definitely say, you know, it's definitely the right plan and you should try it, but don't get discouraged by the results because we kind of thought, you know, it was going to be way easier to to uh, sell those off. So we had most of most of them in rentals. And in terms of the exit, you know, we were kind of always told, even as we were buying and building up the portfolio, hey, you know, nobody's going to value these park-owned homes or the income they bring in just because it's basically offset by the expenses, which is pretty much true. I do think, though, if you get to a certain size, just like with a normal you know, brick and mortar rental portfolio, you do start to see economies of scale. With our in-house management team, we were able to really systematize the maintenance crews and, you know, like we had our own HVAC in-house, you know, that kind of stuff. So we actually did, uh, I think the tides are shifting a little bit. I've heard from a couple of groups that we got the full, full valuation for the park-owned home income as well. It was all underwritten the same, uh, like lot rent, which I was kind of new, you know, we, we talked with a few different brokers and a couple of them were like, ah, no, you're not there yet. Um, we're not, or the market's not there yet. But then we talked with a couple others who said, no, we've got a couple buyers who, who don't care. And, you know, the, if the income's there, the NOI is the NOI, right? So, you know, that's kind of all, all we care about. Wow. That is, that's pretty awesome for you guys. I'm sure that helped yeah. boost the, uh, boost the sale price. No, it did. And, and then really for an industry as a whole too. And again, I guess for better or worse, that was kind of how we always underwrote our deals anyway. And maybe that's just from coming from the, the rental portfolio background. And then also, of course, having our team are kind of already in place. You know, to us, it didn't really matter whether they were park-owned homes and arguably in some of these counties, it's better to have park-owned homes because you can just you know, if you have problems, you can just go by normal, you know, eviction housing rules and you don't have to worry about sure. 
what's going to happen with this tenant owned home. So I think for the industry in general, I think it's a great, I think it's a great uh, avenue that we're going down for, for everyone. Yeah. Some people love their park owned homes and some people prefer the tenant owned homes. But one thing, you know, you guys being so localized around St. Louis, you know, you had the eight member maintenance team that could care for those homes. And I think that's the key. You got to be, you got to be able to get to these, these homes when they have repairs and maintenance issues. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's awesome, man. Let me ask you this, Dan, what are the most important things that passive investors need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? You know, assume that the listeners have never invested in mobile home parks before. Maybe they've invested in apartments or single family. What are the things that are maybe different, you know, that you've noticed from single family and, and having that rental portfolio to mobile home parks? Mm-hmm. I would say kind of along the, I mean, the obvious one is obviously the, the management lines, you know, having someone you trust. I was kind of going to add at the end of that part was at the point we were when we exited, you know, I was, I would have been completely comfortable managing our team from anywhere. So Mm. it absolutely can be done. It's not like, certainly obviously us being local helps, but you know, if you have the right team in place without question, you can do it out of state. You can do it virtually. Now you might be limited on, if you just have one 30 lot park in one town, you know, maybe it's probably not going to make sense, but it absolutely can be done with the right scale. But in terms of, you know, other, other items that I would, I would, that come to mind when I, when I think of that uh, for a passive investor would be, you know, management, no matter what kind of asset class is always going to be number one to focus on. And then number two, mobile home specific you know, you're certainly going to have less headaches with public utilities. That's mm. should be an, an obvious one. And that's something so, that like, I, I feel like we don't talk about enough in our interviews is, is public utilities, because I, have you owned parks with private? You know, we haven't not, not necessarily because we haven't tried. It just seems like I, there's a couple parks come to mind that we passed on needed a whole, you know, brand new septic systems and yeah. And, but if those septic systems checked out fine, you know, by the inspector, we would have bought those no problem. So I guess it was just more maybe a run of luck in, in where we did. But and I own some with private utilities and, you know, it's it's not like a deal killer for us, yeah. but, you know, it is very expensive. Like the hidden CapEx is what really gets you, you know, like in that park we have in Edwardsville. Yeah, there's 67 separate concrete septic tanks in there. Oh, wow. And there's also a lot of trees. So when those roots get into the lateral lines, you know, I'd say we probably replace two or three a year, the lateral lines, and those are two to three grand a pop. So, you know, it's just, you have to account for that. You got to make sure your expense ratios are appropriate for that. And then the well system, talk about liability. I mean, you're, you're, this is drinking water for your community. And if you're not filtering and getting the proper testing, you know, it could be a huge liability. So that's why we, we pay a third party to, manage our, our water system. But, but I agree, you know, public utilities are definitely, you know, the way to go, you know, if you can, if you can choose. Yeah. Right? And yeah. And I mean, I think starting out, obviously, yes. I mean, as yeah. you know, there's, there, there's a deal for everything and I would never shy away from private utilities if the numbers are right now, you know, nor, nor would you, obviously it sounds like, because we, we've been doing this for a bit, but that if you're doing your first deal, you know, maybe 
unless it's just an absolute home run, you know, stay away from it, you know, do the, do the public. And that's not even to say that there's obviously no issues with public. I mean, cause we've got a park, one of our first parks that we bought that we still have, you know, it's got some older water lines and we've been fixing those more and more. And, you know, so, you know, CapEx is a real thing. And in the mobile homes yeah. park, in the mobile home park space, it's typically, private utilities, water lines, sewer lines, roads, right? And yeah. those things do deteriorate. So And they can be expensive. Um, they can be expensive. <laughs> so I think, you know, that's that's it's certainly nothing to be afraid of. Obviously risk is going to come with any deal you do, but those those are kind of the big the big ticket, you know, mobile home park specific items. So agreed. Agreed. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Matt. Uh, Dan, what does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes Ooh. and why? Boy. <laughs> you know, my answer might be different than some people, right? I know you're down in Florida. I think you're still down in Florida, right? I you am. guys, yep. you guys love your nice, you know, super nice curbed, you know, perfect weather mobile home park, class A stuff. You know, we, you know, I love well, all of our parks, by the way, were, I don't know that I consider any of them A parks. They were all, at best, you know, B pluses, we had a, a handful of B pluses, but I would say even most of them though, are in the C range, you will get the most gratification taking an old decrepit park that you know, has just been run down, turning that thing around. So to me, weirdly enough, buying that just sore eye that it, and you know what, it might even be overrun with, you know, drugs and all kinds of issues. But if you have the stomach for it and you know you're going to be evicting people, the amount of goodwill you get from the local city people, the police, the, you know, fire, all these things, that to me, that to me is the perfect park. Now, you also typically, you're getting that hopefully at a much better deal, which means on the back end, you know, you're going to get rewarded for your risk and, and your time. So, yeah. So, to me, I love, I think my favorite deals that we have bought have been probably the worst ones, you know, at closing when we bought it, that you were just like, you know, like I wouldn't send my wife through it right now, but give me six months, you know, and I think you'll also be surprised too, at how many really good people live there. They just live on a budget and that's what they can afford. And all of a sudden those people start coming out of their houses and they're like, you know, I, I'm so glad someone knew's in town enforcing rules, evicting, you know, the problem that's the magic. I think that's, yeah. you know, it's easy to talk numbers and get excited about, Oh, you made this or made that, but you know, you are changing people's lives when you come in and improve a community. hundred percent agree with you, Dan. I mean, the second mobile home park that I moved into with my wife, you know, when we first got there the night before we went to the park to like, you know, close and sign the deal at the, t at the title company, we went out to eat and we asked the, the waiter, we said, Hey, you know, do you, have you heard of this mobile home park? It's called this and it's located over here. She said, Oh, don't go in there. It's infested with drugs. Yep. And it was like, Oh geez, what did we get ourselves into? You know, I'm all the way up in Ohio is where this park okay. is located. And uh, we close on the deal. It got, I, you know, I was, I was nervous. I had butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> we went in, we moved into the house in the front of the park. And I tell you what, the people in there, were the nicest people ever. I mean, my wife and I would take a walk around the park. You know, we had our, our one-year-old daughter with us. We'd push her in the stroller. 
and people were just so nice bringing us, you know, bringing us food and gifts. And you just, the stigma is strong in mobile home oh, parks man. and you, you can't let that detour you because there is some really good people in these communities that just, you know, it's easy to say, Oh, that's full of drugs, but you've never been in there. You know, yeah. you don't know. So. And, and typically, right. Like that probably, it had terrible stigma and it was probably what one lot, maybe two. That was the problem. And it's like, you know, you can't yeah. pull out. If that. Like you, exactly. If that. Right? It was just the, the, the owners that owned it, they never invested into it. They never put any money into it. And they owned it for 20 years and they never put a dollar back into it. They just sucked it dry. And the tenants had been there that, that long time, you know, just mm -hmm. living in those conditions. And when we came in and we improved it and rebranded it and, you know, did little things, we you know, fixed the roads, put fencing and signage and painted and got rid of the, the old vacant homes. They were like, this is amazing. This is, yeah. this is awesome. And they were so thankful. You know, so it's, and even, yeah, we did raise rents, you know, rents went up, but they also got something for it and they were not, they were still happy with the end result. Right. And I mean, sometimes that's the hard part. You know, obviously this is still a business. We do still, you know, we have mouths to feed on our end. We have employees, yada, 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 but you're right. It's, it's at least it's, I mean, it's a two-way street. It's we're going to hopefully buy something, improve it, give you more value for that more value, you know, rents do need to come up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing so. is like us as owners, it's a win-win. It's a benefit because we want the community to look nice, but also so do the bankers, right? Like if the nicer the community looks, the more, you know, debt and in better debt terms we can get on these communities. So, mm -hmm. you know, we don't want to just have them, you know, look like trailer trash. We want them right. to look nicer and they'll, they'll get better debt terms and Fannie, Fannie Mae won't just finance anything, you know, and they're the best terms you're going to get. So 100%. yeah, hundred percent, man. Dan, what are some mistakes that you've made that we can learn from? Yeah. I mean, the list is probably very long. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think as you're growing, you know, and, and buying more, you know, you always want to try and please everyone. So I think, I guess from an operational standpoint, the day that we kind of systematize, okay, everybody's on this lease, everybody's in on this software, whatever that's, you know, rent payments, rent, you know, rent manager, whatever, whatever you guys use, you know, we were trying to kind of just piecemeal it all together and deal with situations one off. That was just a time suck. And then you ended up, you know, these are small communities, right? So like, if someone came into you with a serious issue, whether they got laid off and, and I mean, of course this is kind of pre COVID, but like, and they had a legitimate story. Like, you know, I know you, you know me, like, we're not like, I don't want to put anybody on the street. So it's like, okay, well let's work out a payment plan. Well, that type of news starts traveling, you know, fast in, in the parks. And then people who have no reason to want, you know, these same things will come in. And then, so I think, I think from an operational standpoint, kind of, you know, really getting all the documentation in line. And again, you know, now that I've gone through the back end on an exit, I thought we had good documentation. We were maybe 50 or 60% of where we needed to be. And I, and I thought we really were on top of that kind of stuff. So don't, you know, don't be lax on that, you know, make sure that documentation's in line, make sure, 
the leases are updated. I mean, we had we had some leases from parks that were seven years old from the old owners that we were just like, oh yeah, they've just I guess been on month to month for the longest time, you know. So sure. so that type of stuff. Those were some you know obvious operational mistakes. I'm trying to think. I don't think. Did you guys did you guys always use one bank for all of your operating accounts? <sighs> yes, until. That's that's so one what, thing that I, I didn't do. I, we were, you know, we were buying in different states uh-huh. and we, we used it, you know, the bank that gave us the loan, they always wanted the operating account. So we were like, okay, well, we'll have an operating account with this small bank and, and this, this small and bank this. and this one and all different logins. Oh, that was a mess. So that was a mistake. We only corrected it though a couple of years ago. So okay. we, for the last couple of years, it was great because we we're like, okay, this is way easier but we did the same thing. Don't like, cause well, and our kind of rationale was, well, we have different investors and different pieces and got to keep everything, everything separate. separate. When in reality, it was like, well, you could just have a management agreement and then, you know, the money flows wherever it needs to flow. So we only did that the last couple of years. So we were kind of behind on that as well. I was trying to think. So one thing I think I would not recommend is after we did, you know, we bought the first four or five parks. We always did the survey and the phase one. Mm-hmm. We we kind of thought we knew probably too much. Then we did on a couple of the couple of the next few purchases. We didn't do those things because we were like, ah, these things check out. Like there was no obvious red flags, no gas stations, no railroads, whatever. And to kind of come for a full circle on the exit, we had like this little. 12 lot throw-in park that was kind of a throw-in to us and just because it was kind of in a weird location we were like ah just throw it in for the exit well it had all kind of environmental issues or at least it's basically just has a huge plan across the street that basically nobody wanted it so like so that cost us you know that cost us some some decent money so again i think especially after you start doing it like i would never not do the phase one survey fine, but I, I would still do a survey, but the phase one, most importantly, um, mm-hmm. we got kind of lax cause we were like, ah, we know what we're doing. There's no major issues that, you know, and, um, you know, it costs us, luckily it was just a 12 lot park. I mean, if that would have been an 80 lot park, you know, oh, yeah, this might've been a different a conversation. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, so I think that that's one thing that going back to the basics, you know, there's a reason, <laughs> you know, Frank and all the other, you know, professional investors, you, I mean, you, you guys do those phase ones probably on every part. And I mean, you know, we've been, you know, we did at the start and I, I don't know why we didn't continue. And so that's one thing I wish we probably would have, we've done. Yeah, no, that's uh that makes sense, man. I mean, it's when you're in the swing of things, like one operator was, was like, Hey, you could just pay $300 and get you know, get the file on the property instead of getting the phase one. And we looked at that and we were like, you know what? Uh, someone always told me, it might've been Frank. He was like, you know, the phase one is an insurance policy. You're basically, you know, buying an insurance policy from that engineer that's telling you everything's okay in the case something goes down the line. So yeah, that's, uh, that's been well. Huge. And this is actually, I was trying to think, I was like, uh, so the reason we didn't do it on some of those was because remember, I think probably you remember this. Banks used to require them, mm-hmm. um, and maybe it was just a bank got comfortable with us. 
But I think one of our banks, not, not the main bank we use, but a different local bank, we randomly did a loan with them and they were like, oh, we kind of do our own mini environmental database yeah. search and everything was fine. And I was like, oh, well then why do I need the phase one? We should one? be fine, yeah. Yeah, they're financing it, so what do I care? So I think that was kind of what started it. Yeah. And that was on this 12 lot, that was part of this 12 lot park. So mm. there were no red flags on whatever they did, but then you do a full phase one and it was, well, yeah, there's a massive, like, I don't know what kind of plant was across the street. They were like, yeah, this whole neighborhood's probably a, Got <laughs> a something. disaster. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. So that's a good reminder for everybody yeah, listening. Good. Always yeah. get a phase one. Just, <laughs> just do it. It's worth the money. I would say pay the what, two grand, 2,500, yeah. whatever they are nowadays. Just, just worth do it. it. Yeah. yeah. Where do you think the mobile home park industry is headed? You know, given the woes in the economy with inflation and interest rates, where do you think we're headed? So I think this was probably the toughest conversation my family had when it came to should we exit or should we not? I am so bullish on the mobile home park space. There's a reason we, you know, kept held back, you know, part of our portfolio. And I just, I really couldn't be more bullish. I just think obviously you go big macro, basic supply and demand. Everybody knows you can't build these things. We're losing them every year. My favorite types of parks are if you can be in the average to above average school districts in decent sized MSAs, you will never have a problem because even if worst came to worst and all like your tenants left you with all these homes, if you're still in a decent school district, you can rent those out. And kind of really what opened my eyes to that was one of the second parks we bought was in a really good school district. And we never even, I mean, at that point, we didn't even consider school districts. Mm -hmm. um, and we had three different people paying us lot rent on a vacant lot just so they could have the mailing address to send their kids to the school district. Wow. And I was like, oh, that school district should matter. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll add that to the list. <laughs> Um, so I think, I think if you do that, you're never going to get hurt, but then big picture, I just think, you know, as the industry consolidates, which it seems like it's doing more and more, you know, every month, um, the more you can hold on, I think the more, the more valuable those parks become, you know, I don't really know. I mean, everyone always says, you know, the affordable housing crisis is real, which, you know, I think we all can understand that and get behind that. I do think whether it's the government or some big time investor player, I do think someone's going to lead a charge at some point to figure out a new way to start building these. Now they probably won't call them mobile home parks. They'll probably come up with a fancy new, you know, mm -hmm. new name because obviously our stigma is still there. But I do think that, you know, this, this land is, the land is finite, right? And if you've got that mobile home park zoning, I mean, that is, that is a ticket, a grandfathered in ticket that, you know, you're just not going to get these days. So I, I mean, I couldn't be more bullish. That was the hardest part of, of, of selling because I do think the future is just nothing but up for, for mobile home parks. Yeah, I've heard some feedback that, you know, with inflation, you know, I think there was a report today that said it was, it's up 7% from the prior year yep, yep. that I think the lower income, the lower quartile of people get impacted the hardest. 
Yeah. What do you think about that? That's probably true. I mean, it makes sense, right? But I think, you know, and I don't know about you guys, but it seems like we had a lot of residents on different types of fixed income. I think we started getting over the last couple of years, a lot of section eight renters in our hmm. park owned homes. So I think that is a huge step again for the positive of park owned homes, especially if on the back end, you're going to get the value for it. HUD approving mobile homes for section eight, I think was a very big deal. So I think that, I think that's where through the, some sort of government programs, if those low income families get hit the most, they're going to have to do some sort of either up the section eight amounts, or they're going to maybe even have to include lot rent in that. I think yeah. you might start seeing lot renters be able to qualify for section eight. Obviously those, <laughs> those types of things are going to go way above our heads as just, you know, regional, you know, national operators, but, but yeah, you know, I, they certainly will be impacted the hardest. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, if only we had a crystal ball to tell yeah. us the future, right? But Gosh. with with AI, you know, artificial intelligence coming out, you know, they're saying those service industry type of type of workers are going to get replaced, you know, the quickest. But at the same time, you know, a lot of our collections over the past year and a half have been really, really great. You know, with all the stimulus money and things like that going out to to the residents. You know, our, our collections have been better than than what where they were. So it's yeah. it's weird times and who knows what the future holds. So we had the same thing. You know, I think probably like you guys, those first few COVID months, we were like, uh, better, you know, better watch everything. Buckle down. Yeah. yeah, better really clean some stuff up because we could be in for a rough ride here. But then it seemed like that drop off never really happened. It seemed like at least for us, the same knuckleheads that we were going to evict anyway were the ones taking advantage of the, oh, I don't have to pay you. So yeah. like, okay, well, those people weren't going to pay me anyway. The people that were in the service industry that really got hit the hardest, those were always the people that were like, hey, I'm picking up side jobs. I'll pay you what I can. And obviously, if someone showed that kind of you know integrity and, and want to like do that, like, like yeah, of course, we'll, we'll work yeah. it out with you. We'll, we'll work with this you. together. And then the second those grants and stimulus started coming through, you know, I mean, I'm with you. We had some of the best months we've ever had people catching up on balances, people, you know, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was definitely kind of a weird phenomenon when we were hitting our, our goals and it was like green across the board. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? We've never been, we've never been this good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were getting, you know, from rental assistance programs, mm -hmm. you know, when people get over two or three grand, in, in you know account balances, you kind of start to write those off eventually. But we were getting yep. where like the rental assistance programs were catching people up, you know, for yep. four or five months of non-payment. Absolutely, so it uh, it definitely helped out. Well, tell yep. me, Dan, what's the value proposition at forty three properties? What makes you guys different? And you know, I know you're you're looking to grow and buy more parks. You know, do you think you'll take on investors? You know, when when doing that. Yeah, we definitely. Uh, so during the exit, a lot of investors got their money back. They did not want it back, as I'm sure you, everybody's trying to figure out where to place money these days. So, so yeah, so they, you know, they were very adamant about go find something else. So we definitely will do that still. You know, our value proposition. You know, we, I still think there's a lot of value, and you know, we were very good about the submetering the water and the sewer. I mean that. 
is an absolute no-brainer. If you're underwriting a park and it's master metered, you know, water sewer, you know, typically public utilities, right? Then, you know, that is an absolute no-brainer. Do it as fast as possible. So that was the big obvious ones. Um, you know, the other thing, you know, when people ask, like, why are you guys different? Why have you guys been successful? You know, my best answer for them is we have always operated kind of our management team under, we tried to kind of give them like, hey, we have a 24 hour rule, which means whatever, whether it's an employee or tenant, uh, whoever, if, if you're calling us with a problem, we want you to have a either an answer within 24 hours or we want you to at least know hey here are the steps of how we're going to solve that problem you know because obviously sometimes if it's a you know if it's an ac yeah yeah, furnace ac and the guy's backed up for four days well hey sorry this is our guy or you're just it's going to take four days for whatever reason order parts whatever at least that is communicated say hey here's what the problem is here's how it's being handled and so we try and make sure everyone knows where everything stands within 24 hours. Obviously, it doesn't happen all the time, just, you know, maybe if weekends or, you know, depending on when emails come in or whatnot. But, you know, that that is one thing that, you know, we've had countless. I think we we used to have a drawer at the office. I think I think we cleaned it out. But we used to have a drawer at the office at different cards and little, just little notes people would leave us just saying. Hey, you guys were great landlords. Thanks, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I know you remember all the crap. You remember all the, you know, the awful situations, the tenants that just won't leave you alone, but getting that card is worth 20, you know, annoying tenant issues who don't appreciate what you do. You get that one and you know that, Hey, we're doing things the right way. We just got to keep doing it. And obviously understanding you're not going to please everyone. There are just some people that it doesn't matter what you do. You could buy them a new house. (laughs) There would be something wrong with the airflow of that brand new house. (laughs) You're just not going to please everybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I love the 24 hour rule. That's a, that's a great idea. Uh, Dan, how can our listeners get a hold of you if they would like to do so? Yeah. So I'm a, really good at email. Email is probably the best way. Uh, my email address is dan at four, three holdings.com. Uh, it's the number four, number three. Um, that's the best way to get a hold of me. And seriously, if anybody's interested, I love talking mobile home parks. Andrew and I'll just randomly start up a, a text conversation and it leads into all kinds of things. So, you know, it's, it's a small group, right? You know, you own, you own more than a couple parks. Like you pretty much, you know, you, you're going after some of the same deals, you know, the same people, I mean, friggin' what, uh, mobile home park movers, right? We all know the same, like five people that move <laughs> all the homes in the entire Midwest. So it's like, it's a small community. So yeah. So please, if anyone's interested, you know, reach out to me via email. Uh, I'm pretty good about getting back to people and I'm more than happy to, to chat or uh, answer any questions. So. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, Dan. Of course. Anytime. That's it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so, would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? 
I have a goal of hitting over 100 five-star reviews by the end of 2021. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five-star review of the show.